Well, there's a, there's a young couple. They invited the pastor over to, uh, over to their house for lunch on a, for, or for a Sunday dinner. While they're in the kitchen preparing the meal, the pastor is sitting in the living room with the, with the small son, with the small boy, and, and they're having a conversation. And the pastor says, so, so what are we having for lunch today? What's, what's on the menu? Little boy looks at him and says, we're having goat. Goat, said the pastor. You sure about that? Well, yes, said the boy. On the way home from church today, I heard mom say to dad, remember, we're having the old goat over for lunch today. <laughs> well, amen. Hopefully none of you refer to me as the old goat. If you do, keep it to yourself. I do not want to know. <laughs> well, we're in week six of our series that, we called, that we're calling Closer. And for those of us that have joined us on the 40-day challenge, 40 days of prayer and fasting, this is the last week of the fast. I know you're disappointed. I know you're disappointed. I just feel the Lord is telling me right now that he would like my wife to continue an extra 40 days. <laughs> I started telling her that last night. She wasn't. <laughs> she wasn't. She wasn't buying it. In all seriousness, though, I just want to encourage you to keep to keep seeking after God. Just because the fast comes to an end doesn't mean you go back to business as usual and just pick up your old habits. Hopefully by now you have developed some good habits uh, that will propel you into the rest of this year. And so please keep it up. Only one time in all my years doing this fast did I see the answer come within the first 40 days. Every other time the answer to the fast came much later in the year. So I just want to encourage you with that. Um, for me, this has been the most difficult fast that I have ever done. I've done several of these. I told you that last week. Um, I've been sick a lot, uh, like two and a half weeks of, of illness. Because of that, I've dropped about 28 pounds, um, believe it or not. Um, and so it's just, it's, I've never lost that much, but a lot of that is just because of the illness and, the, and the, the, the battle that this has been. So I just believe that God's got some good things in plan, and, and, and we, just, we just keep going and we keep seeking God, and that's what it's all about. With that being said, I, I believe that God's given me a great truth to share with you today. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 6. We're going all the way to the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to start at verse number 5. If you don't have your Bible or Bible app, we are going to put it up on the screens. You can follow along there. We're going to be reading verses 5 through 13 today to get started. So here we go, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Very popular, very um, very well-known uh, uh, story here in the Bible. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am very sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Verse 12, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their, own, their way on the earth. 
And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I'm calling this message this morning the three qualities. Father, for the next few moments, I just ask that you would give me the mind of Christ. I ask God that you would anoint me. God, I need your anointing. I cannot do this. I cannot speak your word without your anointing because, God, without your anointing, these words will fall flat. They will be meaningless. But, God, if you anoint me, if you anoint these words, these words have the power because they're your words to change and transform lives and that we will walk out of this place different and changed from when we walked in. And I thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis chapter 6 and chapter 7, we read the account of the flood that destroyed the earth. If you've never read that story before, I encourage you to do so this week. Genesis chapter 6 and 7. At this time in history, when the earth was flooded, the earth was filled, we read this, it was filled with corruption and violence was everywhere. We see that in verse 12. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes and People had started to choose the path of sin, and they, in doing so, they rejected the word of the Lord. So God says, enough. I'm going to wipe out all of mankind. I'm going to start over. God then comes and speaks to this man named Noah, and he instructs Noah to build a large boat, which we know as the ark, because God's going to send rain upon the earth and flood it, destroying everything. Noah obeys, he builds the ark. Here's what we read of his account in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. It says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, when this happened, archaeologists tell us that there were approximately one million people on the face of planet Earth. And of all of the people on the face of the Earth that God could have picked to restart the human race, he picks this man named Noah. Now, normally when we think of this story, we think of the ark that was built. We think of the animals that were loaded. We think of the 40 days and the 40 nights of rain. But have you ever stopped and asked and asked yourself the question, why did God choose Noah? In a population of one million people, God selects this man named Noah. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, which we read just a moment ago, tells us that Noah found favor with the Lord. So my question is, as I read this, what did Noah do to find favor with the Lord? Because there had to be something that set him apart from the rest of the people. There had to be something about Noah that caught the attention of God to the point where God would say, I'm going to restart the entire human race and I'm going to do it through that man. Because God could have wiped out everybody. He could have created a brand new garden and formed from the dust of the earth another man just like he did with Adam. And he could have started all over. But he didn't do that. He chose 
Noah. So this morning I want to look at the life of this man named Noah because I believe that the same favor and the same anointing that was on this man Noah is the same favor that is available to you and I today. So the first thing we see about Noah is listed in verse 9, which we read just a moment ago. Let's read that again. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now it says that Noah was a righteous man. It says he was blameless in his generation. The word righteous here comes from a Hebrew word that means just. This means Noah acted morally right and fair in his dealings with other people. He did not treat people badly. He treated people as equals. The word blameless comes from a Hebrew word that means having integrity. Integrity is the type of person you are when nobody is watching. Integrity is the real you. You see, it's easy to be one way when we're around a group of people, but then completely a different person when we're away from a group of people and we're a home, home alone, a home with our family maybe. Noah was the same person in public as he was in private. If you put all of this together, you will see that Noah was a man that was set apart for God, and that's the first quality we see in him. You see, Noah was different from everyone else. He was a man of conviction. Now watch. Look at verse 5 again. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only continually evil. At this point in human history, this culture was morally bankrupt. Wickedness was great in the earth. It says every intention, every thought of man was evil. The culture around him was wicked. But Noah was different. He didn't do what everybody else was doing. He could have. It would have probably been much easier for him to go along with the crowd. Everybody else is doing it, so I might as well just do it too. But Noah chose to be different. He chose to set himself apart from the world. Now notice something. Excuse me. Even though Noah was set apart and different, he didn't stick his nose up in the air and think he was better than everybody else. I've seen a lot of Christians do that over my years in ministry. And that's why many times we're called a hypocrite. It's the spirit of the Pharisee that Jesus came against, and he came against it hard. Remember, we read that Noah was a righteous man, meaning he treated people fairly. He lived his life set apart for God, but at the same time, he didn't view himself as better than a person who was not living for God. These two things together are so important because if you're a Christian that thinks that you're better than other people because people, other people don't live to your standard or you look down on others because their sin looks different than you are, than your sin, then you're missing it. That's the spirit of a Pharisee. We don't see this in the life of Noah. He was set apart 
He treated others fairly. He did what was right, even though it wasn't popular. He was set apart. The second thing that we see in the life of Noah is the fact that he was available. When the word of the Lord came to Noah, we see him obey. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22, we read, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Again, Genesis chapter 7 and verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah obeyed the voice of God. He was available to do what God would have him to do. God tells him to build a large boat in the middle of dry ground, and Noah promptly obeys him. Think for just a moment if God would come to you with that type of request. Build a large boat in the middle of nowhere with no water in sight. What would you do? Would you obey that request? Because the truth is, God does come to you and I with requests. Maybe he doesn't ask us to build an ark. But for some of you, God has asked you to start a ministry. For some of you, God has asked you to get involved somewhere. But you've put it off. Maybe tomorrow we say, or maybe it's I'm not good enough to do that. God, ask somebody that's a little bit more qualified than I am. Can I tell you something? You will never be qualified to do what God asks you to do. Never. Look at Noah. Not much is known about Noah of his occupation and what he did for a living before the flood. We don't know if he had carpentry skills. We don't know if he'd ever even built anything before. A lot of scholars believe that he was a farmer because that's what he did after the flood. Genesis chapter 9 tells us after the flood that he was a man of the soil. So the belief was that he was a farmer. And God comes to him and says, hey Noah, I need you to build a boat. Noah wasn't qualified. I'm sure with a population of one million people, there was somebody on planet earth more qualified than Noah to build a boat. God is not looking for ability. If he calls you to do something, he's going to give you the ability to carry it out. What he's looking for is your availability. What he's looking for is someone to say, here I am God, send me. I remember a true story once of a Baptist preacher. He was scheduled to preach at a college in Pennsylvania. When he arrived at the college, he met with a group of men in the back room to be prayed over, which is custom. And as they're praying over him, one of the men begins to pray this. He says, oh Lord, and don't forget about Billy Smith that lives across the street in that old trailer. He's considering leaving his wife. God, could you just get through to Billy? The Baptist preachers are praying over him. He thinks, that's kind of an odd prayer. But they all said amen. The preacher headed out to the platform. And, a, and after a wonderful service that evening, he got in his car and he headed for home. Well, along the way, he notices a young man out hitchhiking. And normally he doesn't bother with hitchhikers. But as he's, pass, as he's passing this young man, he feels a very strong prompting in his spirit to pull the car over and give this young man a ride. So when the hitchhiker got in the car, the preacher trying to make small talk, smiled at him and he says, he goes, I, I know you're not supposed to pick up hitchhikers, but I'm a Baptist preacher and anytime I can get a captive audience, I seize the opportunity. The young man laughed at him and they begin to strike up a conversation. 
After a few moments, the preacher said, by the way, what is your name? And the young man said, my name is Billy Smith. The preacher immediately stopped the car. He turned around and he immediately headed in the opposite direction. The young man looked at him and said, what in the world are you doing? The preacher said, I'm taking you back to your wife and family because you're trying to leave them. Well, as you can imagine, the man turned just as white as a ghost. And he didn't speak another word the trip. They drove straight to his trailer house, and when they arrived at the trailer, the guy got out. He looked at the preacher with that look on his face, and he said, how in the world did you know where I lived? And the preacher said, God told me. Now get in there and reconcile with your wife. (laughs) And their marriage was saved because this Baptist preacher listened to the voice of God. He followed the prompting of his spirit, and he made himself available for God's work. I want to tell you this morning, don't don't blow off those promptings that you feel. Because a lot of times for me, that is God trying to speak to me, and he's trying to lead me in a certain direction. And a lot of times we just blow it off, and God is trying to speak. And sometimes we blow it off because I've got this other thing going on, I'm busy, and so we ignore that prompting and that still small voice when God's given us an opportunity to make a difference in the life of someone else. I can tell you story after story of miracles I have seen just from simply being available. I remember years ago, and I might have told you this before, but years ago in Phoenix, I was set to go out when I pastored there. I was set to go out to lunch with some of the other, the other pastors, and they got sick of waiting on me, so they all left without me. And I, I figured it was probably for the best. I had a lot of work to do anyway. So I just decided I was going to head down to the, the subway just down the street there. I was going to grab a sub, bring it back to the office so I could just, I could work. I could continue to work and I could eat. I could uh, work through my lunch, so to speak. So I grabbed that sub and as I came out of subway, there was this lady sitting at one of the tables just outside the front door. Phoenix has outside seating and you can sit, out, sit outside and actually eat. <laughs> Deal with all the, the cold but there was this lady sitting outside at one of the tables, and I'd never seen her before. She didn't, I didn't recognize her anyway, but she stopped me, and she said, excuse me. She said, Are you a, aren't you a pastor on that church down the road at, on Cave Creek? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And I'm thinking, oh, no, here, here we go. This could be anything. But I stopped, and I said, sure, what's, what's on your mind? And she said, do you believe that if someone kills themselves, they'll go to heaven? And I still remember this like it was yesterday. When she said that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment, and I, and I heard the best I can hear God say. He said, she's asking that question for herself. She's thinking of killing herself. Tell her how much I love her. And so I looked her right in the eye, and I said, you're asking that question for yourself, aren't you? And she just broke down. And she started to weep right outside a subway. And people were walking by. And I said, I said young, young lady, I want to tell you something. I said, I had other plans today, other lunch plans. I was going to go out with some other guys. It, all, it got messed up. And now I know why. Because God knew you were sitting here. He knew you were hurting. And he loves you. So he brought me here. Of all the places he could have sent me to lunch today, he wrecked my lunch plans and brought me here so that I could tell you how much he loves you. And she just began to cry and weep even more. And she began to tell me her story. And after listening, I said, I don't know how often you go to church, 
but you need to get into the house of God. You need to surround your, yourself with people that will wrap their arms around you and stand with you when you go through these seasons. So she assured me she would, and that following weekend, I remember I was up praying for people, and here she comes to the front, smiling from ear to ear, thanking God for rescuing her. And you hear, we hear stories like that, and we say, Pastor, why don't things like that happen to me? I don't have any stories like that. Well, I want you to know that you have to make yourself available. You want stories? Go get on one of our buses. You'll get some stories, and you'll get them really fast. Go out with our team to feed people on the streets. Be available and allow God to put you in places where life is a little bit messy because the messier life is, the more chances you have to see a miracle. You've got to get out into the mess. If you want to see miracles, you've got to put yourself in situations where life is messy because you won't see them sitting home on the sofa. Binge watching Netflix. You have to get out to where the needs are. You have to be available. So Noah was set apart. Noah was available. But third, and this one probably is one of the most difficult, I feel. Noah was not a quitter. Boy, if you've been here the last three weeks, God has really been speaking to us about this word quitting. I think, the, I, think the word, I think this has been wrapped into the messages for the last three weeks, and I didn't plan it like that. When I was writing this, I'm like, dear Lord, are you trying to speak to us on something? Is there something that maybe it's for, for someone in here? I don't know. But typically when it's hit that many times, it's, it's for somebody. <clears throat> but Noah wasn't a quitter. Now, here's what amazes me truly about Noah, and maybe you've never thought of this. The Bible doesn't clearly say but based on genealogy records, scholars estimate the time to construct the ark was between 55 and 75 years. Let's use the lowest number. Let's just say it took 55 years to build the ark. That's a long time to wait on a promise from God. A long time. So here's my question. Could you maintain your, your enthusiasm for a project that took that long because sometimes I feel like if we don't see God move like we think he should in nine months we go somewhere else and we do we do something else or we or we bounce from here to here and here to here to here in other words I'm talking about a project that takes your entire life to complete think about this working on this thing for 30 years and he's halfway done 30 years I want to tell you, the bigger the dream you have from God, the more time it will take to come to pass. The first dream center that was in the heart of Tommy Barnett, he had that dream for 40 years, and now they're all over the world. 40 years he hung on to that dream. Our vision here is called Vision 2040. It's a vision that we will press towards for the next 20 years. That's a long time. If I live to be 80, that's a quarter of my life spent chasing this vision. And when you're chasing a vision, there are times you want to quit because it's hard work. But you have to determine, I'm not a quitter. Listen to me. Big visions that change cities don't come to pass overnight, and they will not be easy. 
You have to learn to stay focused and to stay the course when times are good and when times are bad. Don't give up. Don't quit. Some days it will feel like you're moving at a snail's pace, but you keep going. I almost guarantee that Noah, building that ark for 55 years minimum, I almost guarantee he wanted to quit. Everything's fun when you start. (laughs) I'm sure it was fun getting the tools ready. I'm sure it was fun gathering the supplies. I'm sure it was fun telling about the vision. You have this big vision, now let's get it going. It was new. But day after day, lifting that same old hammer, pushing that same old saw, had to get old. The newness eventually wore off. And when the newness wears off, that's where the work starts. Some of you have had a dream from God and you started strong, but once that newness wore off, that dream was pushed to the back burner and you never picked it back up. It's kind of like with these 40 days of prayer and fasting. To start it, it's actually kind of exciting. It's the first of the year. I'm excited to start reading the Word of God more. I'm excited for fasting and getting closer to God. It's new. It's exciting. But then day three rolls around and you're ready to burn the house down. It's hard to stay the course and finish strong. But that's life. You have to be determined to push through day in and day out. Put yourself in the shoes of Noah for just a moment. Day after day after day, all he did was build that ark. Some days I'm sure it felt like he didn't get anything done. I bet there were days where he said, I just don't want to do this anymore. I've been faithful now for 30 years and we're only halfway done. God, let someone else finish the job. I've served my time. But Noah never gave up. He kept going and he finished the job that God had placed him on this earth to finish. When it comes to finishing strong and not quitting, I'm reminded of the great Billy Graham. Have you ever heard of Billy Graham? Raise your hand if you've heard of Billy Graham. Heard of Billy Graham? Billy Graham started his preaching career in the 1940s with two incredible evangelists. Braun Clifford. You ever heard of Braun Clifford? A couple of you, okay. And Charles Templeton. Anybody heard of Charles Templeton? Raise your hand. We've got a couple, a few of you. Time Magazine said that Braun Clifford would be the next Babe Ruth of evangelism. I've given you this illustration before, but it fits so perfect here. People would line up for hours to hear to hear Braun Clifford preach. It was said of Charles Templeton that they couldn't build buildings large enough to hold his crowds. Both Braun Clifford and Charles Templeton had far larger crowds than Billy Graham ever did back in this day. Billy Graham lived in the shadow of these two powerful men of God. If these three men were put on a scale of one to three, Billy Graham would have been the least. But as I asked... Many of you don't recognize the name Braun Clifford or Charles Templeton, but the name Billy Graham's a different story. As a matter of fact, when Billy Graham died just a few short years ago, the world watched his funeral. So what happened to the other two? 
1950, Charles Templeton left the ministry to, Purdue, Purdue, uh, to uh, pursue a radio career. He became an announcer and a newscaster, telling the world that he no longer believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He became an atheist. 1954, Braun Clefford left. He lost his family. He lost his ministry. He lost his health. And eventually, he lost his life because of an addiction to alcohol. <clears throat> Financial irresponsibility left his wife and their two precious Down syndrome children penniless. This once famous preacher died of cirrhosis of the liver at the age of 35 in a rundown hotel on the edge of Amarillo, Texas. He died a pitiful and dishonorable death. Some of the pastors from Amarillo, Texas got together and they collected enough money to buy a cheap casket. They shipped his body back to the East Coast and he was buried there. In 1945, all three of these men with extraordinary gifts were preaching and multiplying the kingdom of God to tens and thousands of people. They were all running a strong race. But within 10 years, one of them was left. Only one of them did not quit. Only one of them finished his race. It's easy to start the race. It's difficult to finish strong. And God is looking for people that will not quit. Sam, if you could go ahead and come on back up at this time. Maybe you're in here this morning and you've had a rough start in this race called life. Maybe you're in here this morning and you've had some decisions that have set you back a bit. Your decisions have taken you off course. Your decisions have taken you what seems like out of the will of God. Well, you're start, still breathing, aren't you? And the fact that you're still breathing means your race is not over yet. There's still time for you to finish strong. God is not done with you yet. And maybe today is the day you walk out of here and you commit to strive to those three qualities that we see in the life of Noah. You walk out of here and you say, I'm going to commit myself to be set apart for the glory of God. I'm going to commit to God to be available for Him to use me however He wants to use me. And I'm going to commit to finishing my race strong. I'm going to commit to not quitting. I believe that God's calling some of you today to get back up on your feet and to start running your race again. Don't quit. If you currently are running a good race, then God wants to encourage you to keep running. If the storms of life hit you, and they will hit you, keep running. If people come against you, and people will come against you, you keep running. If you are diagnosed with a terminal illness, you keep running. The choice is yours. Don't you quit on your marriage. Don't you quit on your kids. Don't you quit on the people that depend on you. Don't give up on the dream that God has given you. You run your race and you finish strong for the glory of God. You run your race and you finish strong. You keep pounding that hammer when you don't want to pound it anymore. You keep driving that saw when you don't feel like you want to drive it anymore. Because one day if you don't quit, you'll see that ark finished. You'll see the ark finished. You'll see it come to pass. Can I have you bow your heads and close your eyes?
God, I just want to thank you for this message here today. The last three weeks, God, you've had this theme before us. We want to thank you for that, God. God, we know that big vision takes big faith, takes a lot of strength, but God, you are faithful. And I believe there's people in here that have big vision. They've been carrying it, and for some of them, they've, they've quit chasing it, and because of that, they feel guilty. They almost, they carry a lot of guilt. God, and I just ask that you would set them free today from that guilt. God, I believe, Lord, that you're using this message to encourage them to get back up and start running again. It's not too late. It's never too late. So, Father, for those today that are struggling, I just pray, God, that you would touch them, Lord. And I pray, God, that as we leave this place today, that you would help us, help us all, myself included, to show these qualities that we see in Noah to be committed, to be set apart for you. To walk out of here and say, I'm going to be available for what God wants, for what you want me to do, God. And God, I will not quit. I will keep pressing forward. Because if I quit, I'm going to miss the miracle. I thank you for that, God. I thank you for your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Now I'm going to have you keep your head bowed and your eyes closed.